Hi, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. I'm Chris. <laughs> and we are track walking and definitely didn't talk about that part either. Um, but I hit record for the first time this time, so we're actually uh, up and rolling for this episode. Um, tonight we've got Chris Sullivan, who is a photographer. Uh, does a lot of grid life's photography. Uh, his name isn't on a lot of it, but if you know him, you know him. He's a good photographer. How's it going, Chris? I'm pretty good. How you doing? Okay, it's uh, you know, it's been a week, but it's good. We actually have like three weeks between events, which seems like so much time. <laughs> we've we've only had yeah. two two weeks between events all year, and it's uh, seems like the lap of luxury right now. Yeah, it's a bit of a breather, for sure. Now, Chris, I know you as a photographer, but I know that your background is uh, far more diverse than just automotive photography. So um, how did you get interested in photography in the first place? Like, is that even where you kind of started things? Um, I think I'm probably more of a car guy first. Um, okay. In high school, my, my high school girlfriend bought me a little digital camera as a Christmas gift, and this is a million years ago, but she bought me a, a camera, and it, it kind of clicked all at once, because I was, I've always been an art kid, and I uh, was in, like, art programs all the way through, through like, my whole school career, and um, I used to draw a ton, but it was never, I mean, it, it was... I enjoyed doing it, but I was super hard on myself and overly perfectionist about everything. And mm. photography kind of set everything up and made me get it right all at once or not at all. Um, and I think I liked the finality of that, you know, where it's just kind of, it, it kind of is what it is. You can edit from there, but uh, yeah, I think that's what it was for me. It was, was that it, it kind of made it all about right in this moment. And, and that's kind of, remain true through my uh my career but yeah i got into um photography shooting cars is kind of what made me super interested i um it all just started shooting buddies cars in my own little projects and like every time i'd do something in my car I'd, I'd go out and shoot it with you know a little tiny digital camera or whatever mm -hmm. and from there, it was like buy the next large, larger camera you could buy that had one or two more features, and then um, you know one thing led to another, and uh, I just kept upgrading. And then I ended up going to school for it. Uh, I went to Columbia, uh, Columbia College in Chicago, and I was in the in the photo department, and it just wasn't really for me. So I did. I, it took me two years to figure that out, but I did two years yeah. and uh, just decided that it wasn't a great fit for me because it was just a little too, um, a little too fine art based and a little too judgy. It wasn't, I don't know, I was mu much more of a commercial photographer um, and, and headed in that direction. So, so I... Like, so like the judgy part for you was more of like the grade based, like was it peer reviewed? What What was it about that? I think it was just kind of like undertones of the community that I was a part of where it was like, I'm, I'm more of like a, I like photography from like a, 
um, a record kind of standpoint where I like shooting things as a record and kind of like a historic sense. And it was so very, um, everything was, I'm trying to think of a great, a really good word for what it was, but it was just, um, everything was separation between like art photography and, uh, what you do as a kind of that thing. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I still consider a ton of like journalistic photography art, but it was conceptual and very like, um, very difficult in that direction. It just didn't fit what I was into. So the school wasn't a great, a great move for me. Um, I got into nightclub photography. I'd never even stepped foot in a nightclub, but a nightclub photographer happened to go to school with me and, uh, asked me if I wanted to come out and shoot for 50 bucks. And then I did that for 15 years. (laughs) Um, up until the start of COVID, I, I, I shot nightclubs regularly and not just nightclubs, but I, I shot, um, you know, music festivals and concerts and had a lot of success with that. And, um, I honestly think I'm probably a little better at that stuff than I am at, at, uh, at shooting motorsports, but I'm, I'm rapidly trying to change that. So I'm trying to shift the, uh, the focus and I think I have pretty well. So. Now you said when you started from the, uh, camera that your girlfriend got you long, long time ago, your then girlfriend, um, I assume that was, that was film. It was not actually, it was like one of the super early digital cameras. This oh, was wow. in three or two somewhere back then it was a very early like three megapixel little tiny (laughs) digital camera and uh i had a ton of fun with it and i wish i still had it it would just be a cool thing to have but it kind of uh dictated the direction of my life so um kind of a you know a big moment and i no shadow box on the wall or something yeah yeah you know i just didn't see it coming it's kind of cool how how life can work out that way so um have and you said that there was something about the the finality of it. Um, finality, I'm assuming that, like, once you push the um, the button, that that moment's passed. Is that is that more of what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. In in the sense that, I mean, like, as a great example, like we went on one lap, and I, I photographed that whole journey, and. Um, those moments are those moments there. You can't replace them. You can't change them. Um, you might be able to change like some of the, you know, some of the way the image comes across as far as feel goes, but that's about it. Um, yeah. And that, that's my favorite part of photography. And if you look at, uh, like, you know, photography and motorsports in the last 50 years or so, um, I feel like, that's you know photographs only get better with age and that's that's kind of always been my favorite part of photography is going back and looking at stuff from 10 you know 15 years ago so the the subjective uh, part of returning to the same photograph gets better yeah yeah and i love how it kind of brings back the emotion of the moment i think that's probably the coolest part it's interesting so what i i i'm interested like you you started going to nightclubs because somebody offered you 50 bucks to shoot a nightclub and you, you still do it yeah, <laughs> all, all this time later. Like what's, 
what was your first night like? I mean, if you've never been in a nightclub, how do you, because like it's dark, but there's lots of like really intense lights and tons of bodies. I mean, what I, that seems to me to be a very difficult environment, even just on a very basic level to capture. But what was, what was, what were those early experiences like? Um, I was awful at it and I still maintain, I, I really think that, uh, shooting nightlife in general and, and kind of the, the very varying light scenarios and stuff is some of the most difficult photography there is. Um, it's some of the most difficult life lifestyle photography there is. There's, I'm sure people love to point at food photography as being one of the more difficult fields, but, um, shooting people partying and capturing the moments and kind of, uh, focusing on expression and stuff is kind of like one of my favorite things too. I love, um, it's the same, it's the same draw that I have for motorsports that, and, um, you know, that, uh, sorry, one second, I got to clear this call. No, you're good. Of course I'm having a call right now. Um, yeah, no, it's just kind of like that moment is frozen and it's, I don't know. It's cool. It's, it's very cool to, to see, so that's been my my kind of big draw to doing that stuff and it's not a bad way to make a few few extra bucks so so when so you kind of started freelance shooting friends cars you kind of got into the nightlife stuff how did the how did the motorsport side of this or you know, the, the car shows or whatever, how did, did you just keep volunteering for car meets and to shoot friends cars? Um, kind of, I, so kind of early on, I was, uh, I was shooting just local car shows and, and car meets and stuff like that. But then I was super heavily involved in the Honda scene and I just decided one time I was like, I'm going to fly out to the Eibach meet in California, which was like the big meet back then. And, um, this is around 2009 or so. And, um, I just went out there and was like, all right, I'm just going to shoot this and, and post it. And I remember walking up to, uh, Rod Rez at the time was the, um, the head editor of Honda tuning. And I told him I'm going to be at ITR expo at, Autobahn in a couple days do you need coverage from there and he just happened to not have someone going and uh that was my first like intro to magazine stuff so I shot shot that and while I was there I actually shot Jabay's car and um yeah it's it's kind of funny Adam and I had been friends for a couple years at that point but but he was there and I I was like hey let me shoot your car so I did and then I got a direct message on Honda Tech from the editor of Super Street so like the same week I kind of talked to both of those editors and and made relationships and um ever since then I've just been shooting racing and motorsports and car shows and all that stuff and it's been a fun time what's that what's that world like um I the the notion of being a professional full-time photographer to me is like a little mind-blowing. It's I'm a I'm a freelance uh, subcontractor, so you know my next job, you know, is largely like I'm constantly having to look for work and kind of get things booked, get things planned. But photography, like you're you're not building a house. Like it doesn't take you 
<laughs> a few months to get through it. Like a lot of these gigs are like afternoons or evenings or maybe yeah. like a weekend thing. Like how, just like how, how do you even schedule and set this stuff up? It really just becomes about filling your schedule. Um, that, that was like my, my goal early on. And I've been pretty lucky to, to do that pretty well. Um, nightclubs definitely helped a ton for years and years and it and it wasn't just nightclubs it was i worked for a company that threw um large-scale festivals and uh tons of concerts and and i'd shoot that stuff and it was pretty much like a weekly gig so i i kind of always had something sure but um all the one-off gigs were you know you have to price a little differently for one-off stuff obviously just because it's few and far between and just is what it is just a little bit of a grind and over time you build enough clientele that that usually you get some phone calls but it still is very much like filling the schedule and it got real weird during covid obviously yeah yeah how did how did that affect you i mean it put me out of work pretty much immediately um and all at once but uh i i shot grid life events and i was thankful for that that was um that that kind of got me through the year and then I started working with, with K-Power. And I've been thankful for that, too. That's a pretty fun job. And I get to shoot and create content and create art. So definitely thankful for that. It's been a change of pace. I, I hadn't had a like actual traditional job in, like I said, 15 years. So <laughs> still adjusting a little bit, if I'm honest. So I, I was not very much of a morning person. But here I am now. So literally part of the job i guess yeah yeah so i guess we'll we'll come to the most recent thing that you and i got to do um and we can kind of get a little bit more meta at that point um but through a sponsorship of mine for the year with tommy's express car wash they were really excited about capturing our trip on the One Lap of America this year, uh, which happened to be <laughs> a lot more uh, <laughs> eventful, especially uh, the, for the first couple days. Uh, a lot more story than you had planned out, I think. Yeah, yeah, things changed. And, um, you know, you and I had talked previously that the One Lap was kind of something that you had wanted to do, and... Uh, just kind of immediately thought of you as, you know, one, just being able to do it. Um, you know, I know other photographers just, they can't afford to take eight days yeah. away. Thankful um, for with my job. Yeah. And <laughs> the other part, you know, to get into a car with somebody you've never met before, like literally you and Steve met in the parking lot of JRM at Gingerman and yep. shook hands and we're like, all right, so where does my stuff go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was quite the experience, but I, uh, I appreciate it more than I can, more than I can convey. It was a, it was a very good experience. Now with something like that, um, the one lap of America, it's notoriously difficult to shoot the on-track event is are very very short uh each run group gets 
10 minutes on track and yeah. then it's the next one. So like if you're trying to shoot a particular car, like you basically get one angle per session. So two angles per day. And then you've also got this stuff that's happening in the paddock at the same time as on track. You don't have much downtime for lunch. And then like we pack up and go, what, what was that whole, did, did what you have in mind coming into the event actually work out to be what it was? Um, kind of actually, I, I think it went about as well as I had hoped. I was able to kind of run around and, and typically I'll, I'll spend more time in one given spot versus another. And on one lap, I made sure that I didn't waste any time in one spot. So it was like either get the shot or move on and get the next shot rather than spending 30 or 40 minutes in one, in one location you had to be moving, which was, it was a, it was a really good exercise. And honestly, I'm Literally. sure it'll, it'll go into other things where, you know, other events, I'll be able to do the same thing. And it was, it was helpful. That added bit of pressure is definitely not a bad thing. Yeah. So what was, what were some of your more favorite tracks and least favorite spots to have shot yeah um and why i guess like again as a photographer like i just i i can only kind of grasp like what tracks are good i know you don't like nola um i what like what makes a good track to shoot elevation backdrop um yeah those those components are a big thing. Elevation is a huge one. If you can get like a pretty low angle where you can see light underneath the car, that's always a good shot, almost no matter what. That's kind of like a little rule of whatever shooting race cars. But Nola's tough. It's flat. There's not a whole lot of um, vantage point. There, there's a fence with, with no holes in it mostly everywhere you go. There's one elevated spot, which I usually don't like, but the elevated spot at, at Nola is not terrible. Um, Eagles Canyon was probably my favorite that I got to shoot. I would have loved to shoot at... Uh, at uh, AMP. Yes, at AMP, and we'll get back there, but at least I got to shoot rollers there, and that was cool. But I, I definitely picked the wrong morning to sleep in just an extra hour or whatever. <laughs> but, I know. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah, that day did not go for almost how anybody had hoped it would right right uh i don't know but yeah i think amp and eagles canyon were definitely my favorite on the trip to, to photograph yeah but yeah both, both had trees in the background ton of elevation uh brightly painted curbing um, yeah those are big definitely brightly painted curbing is always a big thing at uh coda that's like one of the best elements and shooting there is always a really good time so hmm. now you talked at the beginning about um kind of the perfectionism in you that comes out um how does that how did that play into your one lap experience like when you you don't have the time, you don't have the, the luxury of getting into the perfect spot, taking the right perfect picture when a car is out there for six, seven laps. Um, it's definitely a motivating factor, but I think the pressure of it, of like 
the idea that I do have a little bit of perfectionism when it comes to my work. Um, it it adds a ton of pressure and it, it, it makes you create a little differently than you normally would. And I think it was overall a good thing. I don't think that it really, uh, I don't think it, I'm trying to think of how to even describe it, but it definitely was, was helpful. It was beneficial in the, in the finished product. I was definitely taking risks that I normally wouldn't too, which was cool. And that's, that's always fun. And it's, it's definitely very cool when you're at, you know, eight different tracks in eight days or whatever, whatever the case may have been. It's nice to be able to get another shot at it tomorrow without having a bunch of time in between. Sure. Cause you kind of loosen up over, over time and it, it definitely makes a difference. Just kind of see how it goes. Yeah. Like day two of a three day event is usually your best day one you're kind of like getting loosened back up and day three you're kind of worn out so to kind of have a bunch of shots at it is is really good so how was eight days in a row (laughs) i actually held up better than i would have guessed it didn't beat me up too bad i enjoy those kind of adventures and i kind of look for um the crazy challenges if as much as i possibly can like i went on chop top challenge which is another very silly adventure but Super beneficial for your soul, you know. Yeah. What? How much? How much evening work? How much evening work did you have to do with one lap stuff, or did most of the the dealing with pictures was that after the event? Oh man, um, I'm still not done. There's a whole pile of of stuff that I want to process, and it's probably going to take a little while, just because life's a little busy in the summer, but. There's definitely a bunch left. The only thing that people have seen, the only piece of work that people have seen so far is what I was able to edit in the car. I haven't touched one lap photos since one lap. So there's a whole lot there left. Um, I'd say people have seen 5% maybe of the finished stuff that I'll, I'll put out from one lap. So there's a bunch. So your day was super busy after... Like, after you left the track, you had yeah. a bunch of work doing. Yeah. Steve and I would immediately get in the car and start driving. And if he was driving, I would edit. And if I was driving, he would edit. And that's how it would be the entirety of the t- eight or ten, whatever whatever the case may have been, drive to the next place. And then sometimes, even after we got to the hotel, we'd, we'd have to, like, save files and, and make sure all our our cards were ready to go for the next day. So it was, it was pretty daunting, but I don't want to miss it again if I can avoid it. Yeah. One lap does that to pretty much everybody, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of got that. It seems, it seems to be the, uh, seems to be the case with pretty much everybody who's been on it. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. That's, that's one thing that, Brock always talks to the the new one lap drivers about are how important the transits are and how important it is to to t- trust your co driver uh, to be able to get rest. And I think the one thing that again that was our our third one lap, and we've always been able to mo- for the most part get at least a little bit of rest on the transits, but. The way it really sounds like for you guys, I mean, you guys wake up, you get to the track, and when the cars are going, you're shooting, then you have lunch, then you shoot some more, then you pack up, 
And if you're not driving, you're editing. If you're not editing, you're driving. Like when, when did you guys sleep? Not a whole lot. Um, I was able to get a bunch more sleep than I think Steve was. Um, I think you knew that too. He, yes. he was struggling a little bit on the, on the early, early days just because he, I think he couldn't shut his brain off after the, the day. And I was luckily exhausted enough that I could just kind of shut it down and, and just knock out. But we definitely didn't get enough sleep, but whatever, that's part of the adventure. Sure. Sure. And I, you guys were crazy at the, the AMP day. You guys went and yeah. how many hours of sleep? Was there even an hour? It was, it was like a nap. I think it was like maybe two. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah, we, we got in, it was right around four that we got in. And then we were up at six, 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 ten, something like that. Um, so yeah, it was probably right about two hours. The ca- the car, yeah, famously didn't cool down, yeah. which you know I didn't have the presence of mind when I got in. I'm like, huh, water and oil temps seem high. That's weird. And it <laughs> it it didn't like literally didn't even strike me until like we had gotten to the to AMP and like had <laughs> unpacked all the stuff, and I was like, oh. Because we weren't there for very long. Yeah, I mean, another piece of that story that more when we came in, they offered us breakfast as we were checking in. So, you know, kind of we got in a little later than you guys. Yeah. We we slept later, obviously, but we definitely got in super late that day. That was the day of the storms, right? Yes, With all the craziness. Yeah, yeah. You guys were parked one exit. We had gone like an exit past you guys or something like that, and that's when we were. Becky and I were contemplating like taking basically sleeping under a shell uh, gas overhang rather than sleep at a hotel just so the storms would pass. Yeah, I think that was the night I was talking to you about using a sock as an intake. Yep. That night for sure. <laughs> yep. Yep. That uh that was an idea that was thrown out. I think the the solution we came up with I think was was ideal um it was just i mean at that point on the one lap like you're fried you're mentally fried you're tired and you know it'd been even more stressful for us than it had been in years past and i was just we were just overwhelmed we were just like we don't want this well you guys race car and that was the first mistake yeah as it turns out yeah no i i understand i I probably would have signed up for that same trip. So I'm one of the few morons, much like yourself, that probably would have signed up for the same kind of stupidity. So, what is it about? How we learn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What is it about? You've mentioned adventures several times, and again, kind of the the stupid trips that you yourself have made. Um, You've done the one lap as a media support team you've done chop top challenge which maybe you can explain about that for our listeners who don't know what you can do with the sawzall and uh and a metal wheel and a formerly nice car yes. and you you drove your s2000 from chicago to 
Colorado and it's not a stock S2000. Like, can you tell us about some of your adventures and then maybe I'll pick your brain about why you're broken? Yeah. Um, well, about uh, Chop Top, it's, for those who don't know, um, it's an event. It's kind of like a road rally deal that you take a car that was not formerly a convertible and you make it a roadster, but also it's not allowed to have a windshield. So you're not allowed to have a windshield or a roof. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you get in the car and the year I did it, we went to Austin from Chicago in, in March. So the morning we left, it was like 30 degrees and mist and... I'll never forget driving past my house on the way out of town and being like, Oh my God, I made the biggest mistake of my entire life. And it really is. It's, it's, you'll suffer more than anything I've ever experienced. But because of that, the highs are higher than almost anything too. And I think that's kind of what, what fuels the the desire to do crazy, stupid stuff like that. And it's the same thing with when I took my S2000 to Pikes Peak, and I'm doing it again in a, in a month. Um, it's just that sense of, like, most people wouldn't sign up to do this, so let's go do that. And, yeah, I think that might actually, it might be as simple as that. There There isn't a whole lot of logical reasons you'd, you'd do something like that, but the story makes it worth it, I think. So it's yeah, Scott and I have talked about a bunch of things that are only fun after the fact. Yeah. Um, but in the moment, it's misery, and then later on, you're like, that's the best thing ever. Yeah, I don't know why our brains are wired that way, <laughs> why you remember things way better than they were. But that is truly what it is, I think. I think it's you definitely have a something wrong with your memory when it comes to crazy things like that. Well, bringing that back to photography... Um, there's, there's always a, a thing that the motorcycle guys talk about that, that, um, there's a group of people that do track days until they get one good picture of themselves <laughs> and then they hang up their leathers because they just want to put that on the wall to remember themselves being awesome. Yeah. And, and that really, when I learned about them, that really highlighted how important um, photography was for helping us relive our experiences. Um, and, and so those pictures that you take help us do that thing that we're talking about. Um, we, yeah. we look at it, we're like, that was awesome. Even though in the moment it was terrible, the picture looks great. Yeah. And, and that's big to me. That's, that's kind of like part of the reason I enjoy photography. And I have a buddy who's also a photographer and he did a, a couple seasons of, uh, of track events and kind of to bring it back to that, it wasn't the picture that he was looking for. He wanted to be able to collect all the different track stickers that he'd been to for his car. And he always joked about it, like that being the, the true, uh, reason for doing it. It wasn't obviously, but it was definitely on his mind was collecting all the stickers for the different tracks. But yeah, photography kind of does that for me. And I think one of the bigger motivating factors when I shoot is, I mean, Scott's seen it, my, my photo book that I do yearly, um, that gave me like a new, um, purpose, I guess, when it came to, to shooting events and, and kind of the yearly, like, I'm sure everyone kind of looks back at their year and to see how they did and and that's what my photo book is and it's definitely been a a really good motivating 
tool um, for my photography and for my career. So that's 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 interesting. And you you mentioned about capturing the moment earlier and in talking with you before the one lap the the way that you spoke about photography i hadn't really i haven't spent a whole lot of time in that circle um but i had never really heard a photographer explain what they do the way that i heard you explain it about capturing the story and documenting and I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of cool shots. I've seen a lot of cool photography. and But what you were trying to do with the one lap was more than that. More than like, all right, the car was here, and then we did this, and then it was here. Like you, I, I'm, I'm going to totally butcher this if I continue. So maybe, <laughs> maybe you can like help me, help me understand that better. Um, yeah, I, it was explained to me this way one time by a music photographer and it, it kind of, I think that's kind of a little bit of the basis. I, for years I wanted to go on tour with an artist and, uh, and just capture their whole, the story. And the big thing was if you can tell a story with like a, a series of photos or like a book or something like that, it, it means so much more than any single one photo. Um, and the way it was explained to me, um, this was, I don't remember who it was specifically, but this was a rock and roll photographer and he went on tour and I don't remember who the artist was either, but the artist said, if my house is on fire, the one thing that I want to get is the book. And that's kind of like the photo book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the coolest thing in the world to me because it's kind of like, a record of your life and kind of displaying your finest moments and kind of your favorite memories are all in a place. So you can kind of go back to it all at once. Yeah. What is it about pictures that we can just stare at? I mean, there's, there's an entire platform called Instagram focused around pictures, some much worse than others. (laughs) Um, but what, like, what, what does that do? Like when you take a still shot of something that happens or a scene or something and you just stop it and you make it permanent, I, I, like, I'm, I'm not trying to wax poetic. I'm just genuinely like, like if you were an alien and you came to earth and you're like, why do you do this? Yeah, I think that's kind of it. I think it's because you can take the time to really stare at detail and kind of dissect what's going on in that moment more so more than you can in the moment. And I think that's one of the big um, one of the big differences, you know, that that makes such a huge difference. And I think that's what brings you back to the moment too, is you can kind of see a lot of the detail that you you know you were surrounded by and those little small cues that. You know, it, it. all your senses kind of do the same thing. I'm sure there's some smells that you smelled on one lap particularly that are very, uh, they bring you right back. And I think it's the same thing with photography, just your visuals. You, 
you see things that are little cues that, that kind of bring you back to that moment in time. It's hmm. interesting. Do have you seen people be able to be more drawn into a photo that they are in or a part of rather than a photo like where they are there somewhere so they can see the photo and know that they were there versus them actually being in the photo. Is there, have you seen or heard a difference there? You know, there's, there's something pretty cool about what I get to do that is, is related to that. And it's the idea that I can hopefully make a moment seem cooler than it was. And that's, that's what the goal of shooting music is. Rollers definitely do that too. Yeah, yeah, and, and those are some of my favorite things where you really blow someone's mind with an image. I think um, it, a lot of times it does look cooler than it did in the moment, and and it makes you feel like you were part of something very cool. I think that's I think that's one of the big things, and I get to do that a bunch, and I enjoy it. And that's what the the core goal of my photography with Grid Life or any event I'm covering is to do that is to kind of make it bigger and more epic than it actually was. Or at least make, I don't even want to say like, then it actually was, but just like help people realize that what they're doing and what they're a part of maybe is important or yeah, valuable. Do anything like this, right? It's, that's that's a difficult thing to do with photography, and I think that's the, the constant goal, is to do, do something justice. Yeah. How do you learn how to do that? Like, as a photographer, like, you, you said, you know, you started on this really crappy camera and you got better equipment, but I've got to assume that the equipment was, like, a small part of your, Oh, definitely. Um, I'm actually kind of a stickler for, uh, like, technical terms with photography and and learning the technical uh form is it was kind of like kind of was and is still a a constant goal um i'm sure you've heard of the you know the 10,000 hour rule you give anything 10,000 hours and you'll be pretty good at it and i you know it, i feel proficient but i don't feel like i'm anywhere near what i intend to do um I'm years from that point, I think. And hopefully I never really reach what I'm capable of in the long run. I, I want to continue to grow forever. So sure. the technical form is, is kind of one of the more fun challenges too. Like when you, you have an idea in your head of, of settings or something and you play with it and you have this, this idea of how it may work out. And then when it works really well, it, it means a lot. And it, it's those little victories that kind of keep you going. Yeah. So where does that drive for you come from to like continue to learn your craft? And I think a lot of people would say that you're pretty damn good at what you do yet. You're continuing it sounds like to be a student and saying that you're like a long way off from what you hope to do like we're we're that's that doesn't i don't think that's a very common drive to have 
Um, I think it's like almost anyone's selfish desire to be kind of remembered for something or to like make a difference. Mm. Um, and I know that sounds ridiculous when we're talking about pictures of race cars, like whatever, who cares? It's not, it's not super important in the grand scheme, but I, I think just having some form of legacy, um, Interesting. and kind of hopefully, uh, you know, I, I look at a ton of old photography of racing and hopefully someone's looking at mine in 40 or 50 years. That would, that would be all I need is just that this stuff lives somewhere. And it, it's kind of, I think that's what the book initially was, was I, I, you know, digital has changed everything and I shoot a ton of stuff and I wasn't printing anything. I hadn't printed anything in, in 10 or 12 years since college. And I was like, I just need to like make a physical copy of what I, what I did this year. And it was one of the better things I've done in a long time. I think just having something physical, um, cause now it actually exists, you know, it's not just pixels right? and it, it's different when it's physical. And I think that's the big thing. And that, that was going to be one of my questions. Actually. Um, you mentioned about the, the rock artists, um, talking about what he would grab if his house was on fire. I remember growing up, we had photo albums in my house that we would look at uh, from my my parents' older families, and um, you know things that we had done. Like, I mean, that was that was how you relived it. And it was almost special because you know the books themselves were nice. Yeah, um, I mean they were leather leather bound. They you know had some. Sp- meaning like you had to go find them pick out the one heavy sit down with intention and like look through this thing there was a lot of there's a lot of barriers from looking at it and it's not like you couldn't look at it every day but it wasn't easy enough to just randomly glance through and i'm curious that I'm I'm curious what you think has been the the good and negative parts about moving to digital digital where we rarely have these printed photos that are taken of us or that we take ourselves. I think I think it's both been the best thing that's ever happened to media and also the worst. Um I think the quality of work is higher than it's ever been. And that's not just due to technology. That's due to a fierce competition. Um, if you look at photography of a lot of different fields, uh, racing included, because you weren't able to see what you were doing immediately, mm-hmm. um, there was a, an amazing skill to that, to be able to capture something great in the moment. But there was also you couldn't play around with it and change things. And you kind of had to like, you couldn't like take a shot on something, take a, you know, a really difficult shot and, and, and just mess around with it for a half hour trying to nail one photo. Whereas as a perfect example at, at road America, I'll sit in the trees and shoot a couple thousand pictures for, you know, 20 or 30 pictures that I'm happy with. Um, you you probably wouldn't have done that back then, and that's a lot of film. 
Exactly. It would get expensive and tiresome really quickly. But there's definitely what you're talking about. There was something more deliberate about the way media was viewed back then and 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 consumed. I I personally am not a huge fan of like the the delivery systems of media, like the the way people. I, I don't like Instagram because I, I don't think looking at a tiny screen that you have in your hand uh, really does any good work, any justice. And it, and it kind of leaves an opening for subpar work too. Like if something's striking, it can do really well on social media, even though like it may not be great work. It might just be something that somebody's just trying to manipulate an algorithm, which is its own art form, but it's not the art form that I'm into. And it's just different. So, and I, I have friends that do that, that are very much into like Instagram photography, where it's like, they, they just want to build a huge following and, and they, they shoot a certain way because of it. And it isn't their best work necessarily, but mm. it's just, you know, they're manipulating the algorithm. That's what they're interested in. It's just not my cup of tea, but I, did, I didn't even again. know that was something you could do th- through photography. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. Yeah, it's just different, but I, I do think it that lack of like slowing down and, and sitting down with a book, like a photo book that was very, very, uh, you know, everyone who put those things together felt a certain way putting those photo books together. And like you were saying, they were nice and they were deliberate and all that stuff is, I don't want to say gone because I think there's a huge market for that that's reemerging. I think people love actual print media that's that's tangible Mm -hmm. more so than they had in the last 10 or 15 years so i'm happy to see that and i'm happy that i've gotten a little more involved in it because it's been a really good thing for me well it constantly seems interesting to me that the some version of the polaroid camera continues to live on yeah this is like a very it is instant like more more of a digital print or something but it's it's instant in a tangible like here literally let me hand you this this is something you get to have now yeah um yeah i think that's a super cool thing and i think it's it's kind of telling that they that they're still available and still kind of a, a market that that exists and can thrive it's obviously not thriving like it once was but people are still interested yeah. And obviously there's enough people that, that are interested. It's not cheap either. Um, no. I don't know if you've bought any of those Instax, uh, like film. It's, it's not cheap. It, it adds up quickly. And I wanted to like, just have them around at all times. I figured it'd be like a really fun thing when we go to events, just like hand the camera to anybody and yeah. just shoot whatever. And there's something very cool about that too. Um, people who aren't necessarily initiated in photography, just kind of seeing what they capture is is super cool and um yeah it's just a little too cost prohibitive but you know whatever yeah so it it sounds like the one of the benefits of digital photography is the ability to take chances on settings and um like camera settings and um angles and things like that because you i mean it's not i don't think it's the the whole spray and pray approach but it's the 
well, let's do this real quick. Let's see what that looks like. All right, let's change it. Try this. Where like on a on a camera, like the film, the speed of the film that you have in there is the speed of the film. Like you get to You're use right. that until the next one is Absolutely. up. Yeah, there's there's a ton of there's a a ton of opportunity in just the idea that you can can change you know the ISO and. I think going to a corner and like I'll, I'll shoot a bunch of photos at really, really, really slow shutter speeds that you probably you, the odds of you nailing a photo, uh, like panning a car at a fifth of a second at 400 millimeters is, is pretty unlikely, but the, the one out of a thousand or whatever that's perfect is the most satisfying thing in the world. And you never saw that. 30 40 50 years ago because that guy who was shooting it had to deliver something and he couldn't deliver you know one frame out of a thousand or whatever the case may be yeah do you find yourself at motorsports events shooting like are you gravitated towards the on track or do you gravitate towards the grid and paddock area um, it's, it's shifted a little bit over the last couple of years. I used to be more of the grid and paddock, just kind of in people's faces, trying to, to get a little more of the emotion and a little more of the, the expression. Cause that's kind of who I am as a photographer. But the, the last year or so, I think I've shifted a little bit to the on track stuff just out of the sheer challenge. It's, it's, it's a different challenge. It's a different skill set, And then I think actually a huge factor that I hadn't even considered until very recently was COVID. Um, it wasn't that I was so much worried about being near other people, but I didn't want the viewer, whoever was looking at my photographs, be it family or, or whoever else to consider me as irresponsible or whatever. And I, I think it definitely had an impact and I, I don't love that. And that's something I've been working on this year to uh, make sure I capture as much emotion and as many expressions as I possibly can. Yeah, that's something I guess I hadn't even considered with COVID. I mean, and a lot of people were wearing masks. Like, how how do you capture emotion on the face of somebody whose most of their face is covered? Yeah, you know, I just didn't for a large percentage of last year, I just didn't shoot people. And I found myself at when, when grid life was at NOLA last year, I found myself towards the end of Saturday shooting a little bit of the, uh, the drivers like in the paddock and it, and I, I like caught myself being like, Oh no, no, no. I got to like not shoot this stuff because if I, if I post this, like people might be upset with me, you know, cause like the right. people weren't yeah. wearing masks and it, and it like, I don't think that's a good impact to to have uh, i don't think you know anything good comes out of that and it's funny too because you think even during covid um like when things were very bad uh a couple weeks would pass and it wouldn't matter if people had masks on or anything because like people didn't get sick and die so like people didn't care after a month or so whether or not people had masks on from a, a picture from a couple months ago it's just a weird thing. It was a weird a thing that I'd never had to deal with and a thing I never had to consider before. And I was always, I've always been really comfortable getting in people's face with a camera and just telling people to ignore me. And it definitely yeah, we, wasn't a we, thing back to it. We had that discussion on the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to have that discussion with a lot of people because 
you're really breaking that moment when you look up at the camera and smile or whatever, unless it, unless it's prompted. Um, I ask that everyone just kind of ignore me. And I think most photographers would agree with that. Yeah. So well, what to, to break things a little bit, you've talked, we've, we've mentioned your S 2000, which sounds like literally the worst work car in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, how, so you're you're a car guy. How did you arrive uh, in in Honda world and that particular Honda world? Um, I so like in high school, my buddy was like getting into Japanese cars, and this is in like 2000, right before like all the craziness happened with the import chain. But he like kind of introduced me to Hondas. We used to go street racing in his Integra, and it was like the best time ever. And I got involved with that and had a few different Hondas and I always wanted an S2000 and I picked one up in 2012 and now it's been all over the country. Um, I've been to Road Atlanta with it. I've been to Mid-Ohio, Road America, um, Tail of the Dragon. I've kind of been everywhere in that thing and you're right. It's not a great work car, especially for a <laughs> photographer with really big lenses. Um, so for a bunch of the events, my lenses will go with Jabay and I'll just drive out to the event. Um, I I'll drop the lenses off to Jabay at his house before, before the event. And I'll just meet my lenses there because there's just not a possibility to bring two enormous lenses and full camera gear and, you know, clothes and all that stuff. But yeah, S 2000 is my favorite. I enjoy that thing. Sounds like you need a, to start towing a trailer with that thing. Yeah, yeah, who knows? One lap setup just for my gear. Um yeah, so what other what other cars do you or have you owned? Um and I have, and why? Yeah, I have a picture of you in the engine bay of my 91 Honda Accord that uh, I've had since I was 17. That's like my forever build. Um I want that to be like a pretty crazy car. I mean, you saw the cage in that thing. It's a full TIG welded like it's nice. 12 cage and that's like my first and foremost car and then the s2000 is like also kind of a forever car that i've always wanted and then i have two honda fits which i just kind of like ended up with and i did some like spec fit racing with with grid life um in 2016 a bunch of us had fits and all of our track cars broke one event and we were like, hey, let's go out in these fits, and we did, and then it turned into a thing, and now there's 15 cars on the grid at every event. Yeah, spec, spec fit turned into something big, or I'm uh, sorry, spec fit, Sunday Cup. Yeah, Sunday to, Cup, excuse me. Turned on, well, this, that past weekend it was basically spec fit. Um, yeah, no, we're happy there's going to be a bunch of more Sunday Cup cars, though, that aren't fits. It's cool to see. Yeah, and... Um, Next year's one lap is shaping up to be a pretty fun, slow group. Yeah. Well, maybe, hopefully we can find someone to drive my other fit that is not slow. Um, I also have a K24 swapped fit that makes a bunch of power and um, is broken more than it's not. But when it works, it's a lot of fun. So hopefully that thing can go on one lap as well. It's probably about as, maybe not quite as bad of an idea as your Miata, but it's pretty close. Yeah, I would know. Uh, I would know how to work on the K fit though. 
problems. Yeah, there's that too. No one really does. There's not much room in the engine bay, and there's not there's no there's no spare parts for it because a bunch of that stuff is pretty uh, pretty few and far between to come by. And as we learned, specialty parts aren't uh, something you really want on the one lap. Yeah, wheel bearings that are uh, only in like two or three shops across the nation are probably not in the uh, typical one lap. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the kind of stuff that's just a terrible idea. And (laughs) you take a car where you could buy parts for it, any auto zone, and you just ruin it and you make it (laughs) impossible to fix. Yeah. 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 That's kind of what I do. Um, I think, I think it would be the best idea for one lap. I, you know, usually the worst idea is kind of the best and that kind of goes back to the adventure thing. Yeah. So that car's available to anyone who's wanting to do one lap in a really awful car. seems like you just like misery. Like you like suffering. <laughs> yeah. I think the challenge of it's kind of fun. I mean, you must as well. So I, yeah, that's 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 a frequent topic of discussion on here. That it's not really the uh, it's not the victories and it's not the when things go right that we do this stupid hobby. It's it's actually for the the misery and the the hardship of it is actually why everybody does it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because there's definitely a lot more of that than there is uh, yeah. victories and yeah. supermodels. I just saw in a group chat people were realistically trying to put together the amount of hours that they spend prepping a car versus the amount of hours spent driving. And I think everybody estimated somewhere between 50 to 100 hours in prep for every one hour of driving. That sounds about right. And for some of us unfortunate people, it's probably way worse than that, I'd imagine. Just... Maybe it's the number of it. That seems dumb. That's just, that objectively seems dumb. And you know, it's actually funny. I was having this conversation today with someone about how, um, like the unlimited time attack world, Uh, like the, the cost per lap is what somewhere around the thousand dollars per lap. And that's without all of their time and effort, uh, even, even considered that's just the sheer dollar per lap is, it's got to be the worst motorsport there is in that in that regard. And, and they can only do two or three laps at a time. Yeah. I mean, most of these cars, I mean, the high-level unlimited time attack cars probably do, what, six or seven laps a weekend? Like, you know, full tilt laps. It's crazy to think about. Seems like a really bad time. Yeah. I don't know how you'd sell that to anyone. You just have to be broken to want to do it. Drama does sell. It's true. Everybody loves a good, uh, you know, it, it seems like everybody likes the good drama story, the good, like, uh, suffering story. It doesn't ever really seem like people enjoy <laughs> being a part of it though, because of, like, true. no, that was really stressful. <laughs> like, I mean, there were some moments on one lap that were pretty stressful for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I just feel like this is going to be a great story. Because I, I was close enough, but it's, right. I mean, unfortunately, I, there wasn't a whole lot I could have done to help. No, I remember you telling me that too. It's like, yeah, this. I know you guys aren't having a good time, but this is this is gonna be pretty cool later. <laughs> <laughs> and I I couldn't hear you. I could not hear you. 
that's totally fair. But I mean, deep down, you knew it too, though. Yeah, I, I think so. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been there. <laughs> something that brings you back. Yeah, something. Sadomasochism so, or something. I guess I gotta ask. So, beast back next year for for one lap. Um, so that's gonna be a thing for sure. It sounds like it is. Yes. Yes. Uh, in in one form or another, um, we've we're we're getting we're basically right now we're getting together a list of people who are very interested in participating, um, making sure that we have a full run group before we go through with the whole actually reservation of said run group, um, right? Because that's that's a bit of money on its own. I, I find myself pretty torn because there's a part of me that really wants to participate because I've been pretty involved in the in the Sunday Cup uh, ecosystem, especially early on. But I, I, I'd much rather be there shooting, I think. So it's it's kind of a, a tough call for me. Well, the good thing is they'll run basically at the end of the day. So you could do your whole day and then, you know, hop in the car. I could do both. And that would be a real good time. <laughs> I was... It's one of those things, I mean, you've seen how much room a fit has. Like, if you were to get into a car with two other people, like, you would only be driving once every three days, essentially, if you guys split it up that way. Yeah. And, you know, kind of the way that we're talking about packing everything, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of spare room. Um, Like, if we actually have the run group pack like a team, like a six-car team, um, I think it would save a lot of redundancy, and it would yeah. save. Um, we have everybody has to carry their own jack type right. situation. Right. Yeah. You have two or three jacks. Um, right. You have like one master set of tools, and you, know, you have one car be the designated drinks and snacks. You have one car being the designated sound system and like good vibes good 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 paddock vibes that sounds like the best one lap ever i i'm pretty excited about yeah i'm also excited about having air conditioning for the first time ever on the one lap yeah the way you just described it i didn't even consider you know kind of kill the redundancy and kind of i think if everyone especially leaves together and you travel as a pack it's gonna be easy well easy but it'll be a really good time. And I might, definitely. The only downside to that, and I've spent a bunch of time talking to the Toyota guys about it, is if you have six cars that show up at a fast food restaurant, yeah. all of a sudden what was like a 10-minute stop turns into a 40-minute stop. Huh. Yeah, that's true. And they said they lost like the, the amount of time, the amount of sleep that they lost because you'd have all these people trundle out and make their orders and you had to wait for the last person to pee. Mm. And they were like, it was just maddening. That they, yeah. they, they lost at least an hour of sleep a night by traveling as a group. That's crazy. And it's funny you mentioned that because leading into one lap, Scott, you were telling me about um, you and Becky's like plans for, for fuel stops and how you had a plan. And it blew my mind. I was like, D- do you need a plan for, but like yeah. we had actual meal uh steve and i did the entire one lap the rest of the time was gas station food because there was just not the three minutes to go through a drive-thru 
it yeah. really is crazy. Yeah, and on the road, like you know, something that you never really consider until you're super pressed for time is looking for an exit that has a gas station and a fast food place within close proximity. Um, yeah, there's actually far fewer of those across the country than you would think. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, we had Chipotle one one day, and the rest of the time was like, "What does this gas station have to eat?" The entire time. <laughs> Not much. So, so what's um, like, what's your what what's your bucket li- photography bucket list look like? What are what are some events or just ideas or cars? Like what what are things that like you, Chris, like? want to do before you die um i i think that probably the the first time we've actually brought up death on the podcast which is strange (laughs) because you think that all right that's going to be a podcast coming up about death oh man yeah i think the biggest thing that i want to shoot is um i want to get involved in some imsa stuff and f1 f1 is like the end all be all for me I, i'd love to do that one day even if it's just once i just want to i think there's so much opportunity for amazing work there um that i just make like images that i'd be happy with forever and that that's like the big the big like end all event i would love to shoot an f1 race and i don't even care which which track it's at they're all pretty much amazing so your knowledge of coda i think would serve you well yeah and i mean coda is like unbelievable photograph it's it's not the most like compelling track uh visually otherwise i don't think i think people think it's kind of dry and and boring but to photograph it's it's something special for sure and what would those take imsa and formula one like i i kind of assume anybody can show up to a race and take pictures but in designated spots but like to become a sanctioned photographer I assume that's got to be a weird thing. Yeah, it's, I honestly don't even know, just because I've been so focused on what I've been doing for the last couple of years that it's not like, it hasn't been on my radar to like really reach out. I kind of want to build up a little bit more of my skill set before I even step into that world. I think if I want, I'd rather the opportunity be a little later than, than at the moment. Um, that may sound weird, but... No, that that's interesting that you have like this thirst for adventure and trying new things, and yet like, and yet you're patient. Like that's that's interesting. Well, I think a lot of it just comes from like my my weekends are pretty full with doing pretty cool stuff as it is. Um, it would be nice to add some of that stuff to my life at the moment, but like I wouldn't want to miss a grid life event or one lap or something for any of these other pro things because the pro stuff just doesn't have the same culture that that you know this grassroots kind of movement that we've been ingrained in for a little while uh has you know it it's just a different world and i think that it needs to be documented and i think it's i don't know i think it's important for the future of motorsports yeah It'll be interesting to see how grid life is talked about in another 20 years. You talk about legacy, and I, I think, you know, if if photographs make events possibly look cooler than they are, um, and I'm not, I'm not sure I would phrase it like that, but maybe bring out the best 
that yeah. the event has to offer and you know helping to build that legacy and capture that story that you've talked about how in another 20 years looking back on those photos at kind of what we're helping to put together now it'll be interesting kind of in the the large scheme of motorsports yeah i agree completely and i th- i think this might have even been something that you would you would have liked to touch on um on the topic of one lap that we haven't talked about is just approaching one lap photographically from a different angle than i think it has been necessarily in the past talk to me about that um or at least from what i've seen i you and i talked about it early on on one lap and even before one lap is uh kind of what we're talking about the story and kind of shooting it with um that in mind more so than a coverage thing um whereas like if you hire a media company to come out and make sure there's coverage of every single driver and every single car that dictates the work a little bit um absolutely i was lucky enough and and huge thanks to Tommy's and to you for being not having any input and just kind of letting me go and photograph everything that I thought was uh, worthwhile. I think that changes the narrative a little bit in the, in the end product. Um, and I think we were pretty successful in, in making it look, um, bringing out the best, I think is the best way to explain that. And that, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted it to look like the speed was huge and the, the, the travel journey was huge and the, you know, all of it was big and epic and, and tiring and all of those things. I wanted all those things to be very evident. Like I, I remember one specific picture of you in the elevator half asleep. Um, I, that was one of my favorite images from the trip and it was just like, taking the second to think about that stuff is is when i remember to do that stuff is when i'm at my best i think when i'm capturing that kind of stuff i i remember that photo particularly because it was it was either the first or second night like it was very early in the trip it was i think we even had a beer that night probably which is crazy to think about because that that happened steve and i bought a case of beer that's right one of the nights and it was with us on the last night because the, who was going to drink beer after driving 10 hours and getting in at one in the morning, needing to be up at six more people on the one lap than you would think, but not us. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe that too, but I also wanted to be my best the next day. So, but yeah, I don't know. That was when I, when I think of those things to photograph is kind of my favorite moments with photography. Um, it, it that picture in particular is nothing special photographically, but it tells a story, you know, it's one picture that kind of makes a point. And I think that's cool. Yeah. And (laughs) I do remember the back and forth because you, you had almost gotten it, but you, you thought about you, you you decide to take the picture just, just too late. The door had closed. And so you, you were yelling at me to open the door, do that again. <laughs> and I think I, I shot the, the photo that, that we're talking about as they were opening back up and it doesn't look like oh, it. Oh really? It's one, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, with a photo, you can't tell which way the door is going. <laughs> I remember you threatening to push the button again so that it opened back up. And I just, I was so tired. I'm like, I will, 
punch you in your camera <laughs> if you open this door one more time. Yeah, you were on your way to bed too, which oh. is pretty funny. So so tired. I'm excited. Like if if you're talking, you've only like displayed five percent of what you've seen on the one lap or that we've seen on the one lap. I'm I'm pretty excited about what else you got. Yeah, and I'll never deliver 100%, but I will deliver a bunch more. There will be a bunch, and there will be some packages for people to, to check out and stuff. And I, I, I want the, the official media to be able to make their yearbook, yeah, but yeah, then for sure. that I would absolutely love to make just a pure photo book that isn't, there's no narrative, there's no, no text, it's just photos. And yeah. I think uh, that's kind of like my purest form of what i do i love to just lay pictures out and let you figure out what's going on well where can where can people check out your work um how can people order or check out the book that you have out currently where where's all of that stuff so i'm really 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 bad at this stuff and um i don't have a current website um it it's been down for a few years and one of my best friends has made me a new website and I haven't made it live. So I should probably do that. But in the meantime, if you need to get a hold of me, um, just on Instagram is probably the best. And it's just CRSFOTO on Instagram. Um, and I don't even think that's a great place for where I display my work. I don't really post a ton of my work. Um, like you were saying, uh, in the beginning of this podcast, I, I don't, my name isn't out there as much as, as it could be just because I, I shoot for my clients and kind of leave it at that. But you know, who knows, maybe I'll change that a little bit and try to try to make myself a little more visible. Sure. Well, we are at track walking podcast on Instagram and Facebook at track walking chats on Facebook is the, uh, the group. If you'd like to uh, pop in there, drop some, podcast ideas or thoughts or quotes or whatever um yeah that'd be good but yeah chris we wanted to have you on just because you know automotive photography is um one of those kind of behind the scenes things and something that people really love to see and really love to get but we don't often talk to the photographers about what they're doing and why like why that? <laughs> why yeah. Why do you hike through, like, chest-height grass in, like, 100-degree temperatures just to, like, get this one shot that you're hoping turns out well? That's It seems like a miserable time to me. You know, um, I even will admit, um, part of the reason I was sort of, like, a more paddock-based, like, photographer was was just that like it was i don't want to go spend the entire afternoon on a corner and you're it's a lot more effort for one or two images like you're talking about per per angle and it becomes super daunting to kind of bounce around all over the track and spend a ton of time out at corners but um when it's successful it's worth it it's one of those things um it's hard to explain why but it's just worth it like it feels real good to to kind of deliver that kind of stuff. And I know I'm way too into this stuff and it's, I don't know, but I don't, yeah, I, I know I talk way too highly about track photography, but it it is definitely a thing that I'm, I'm passionate about. It seems to elevate the, the conversation around it though. Um, 
to to speak in depth and in with big words about what we do um i think i think like you said like capturing these these moments that maybe elevate them or bring out their best i i think is also how you talk about them i think it's just i think it's yeah good. yeah and i it's it's cool to uh to get to talk about it because uh, you know like you're saying a bunch of bunch of us don't really get to talk about it too much i'm just kind of out doing my thing you guys are doing your thing and it's weird too because i'm a little bit of both and rob wilkinson for example is also a little bit of both he's also a driver and i am too i just don't get to drive as much as i used to like it's fun to get out and drive but i'd almost rather be shooting if there's something really unique going on or if there's like a if the light's really killer i'd rather be shooting than driving and it kind of sucks because the other part of me uh, that wants to drive kind of suffers for it. And yeah. I don't drive like I used to. And, you know, it's that balance. And I haven't found that balance yet. So. Well, maybe maybe you in a, in a Honda Fit with two other dudes on the one lap might be, uh, might be an interesting balance. Yeah, and, you know, a simple Honda Fit that just works might be nice, too. Because the other part of it is you add a really complicated car that breaks all the time. And you really don't get to drive. Yeah. Yep, that'll happen. Yeah. And air conditioning. Don't forget air conditioning. It's it, amazing. Yeah. I'm, my car does not have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cars, like long distance cars, really, you really want that. Yeah. Well, Key feature. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, good. Tried to nail this. Nope. Did not work that time. Let's try this again. Here we go. Um, Thanks for listening, Chris. Thanks for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. And for the three of us here, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. I'm Chris. We are track walking. Thanks a lot. See you next week.